This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. This evening, we want to take a look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, looking at verses 3 through 11. Continuing our series of studies in the the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning our reading with verse 3. Hear the word of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Or be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let's pray. Our Father, late in the day, and we're tired, and Lord, it's easy to think about the week, it's easy to let the mind wander in weariness, but Father, we pray for your grace to renew our strength like the eagles, to give us focus and attentiveness as we study your word. And Father, we pray that you would stir up our minds and our hearts with your truth, increase our love for you, and Lord, let us worship you in the very study of your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Bill Cosby said of his father, My father would not have been interested particularly in a book about fathering, although he did like to read. One day when he was reading in the living room, my brother and I decided we could play basketball there without breaking anything. When I took a shot that redesigned the glass table, my mother came in with a stick and said, so help me, I'll bust you in half. Without lifting his head from his book, my father said, why would you want twice as many? (laughs) Well, some days you may feel like God is trying to bust you in half. You may not even know what you've done. 
God's not trying to bust you in half, of course. He is simply trying to do in your life what good discipline should, to build you up, to grow you up, to instill maturity in you. Now, in this passage before us, the writer to the Hebrews takes up this subject of discipline, specifically God's discipline as our Heavenly Father of us, his adopted children in Christ. And he starts out by pointing us to Jesus. We've talked this morning about how all Scripture points to Jesus, some more directly, some less directly, but he certainly draws our eyes to Jesus right here to consider Jesus and what Jesus suffered. Now, these verses serve as something of a transition between what went before and the the metaphor, the image that he uses of the Christian life as running a race and making a transition into what follows, where he begins to talk about not so much the rigors of running a race, but the rigors of enduring discipline. And he points to Jesus, who suffered far more than we ever will, if only because he resisted sin completely each and every day. The writer says in verse 3, Consider him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. We need to recognize whatever hostility that might come to us on account of our following Christ. It does not compare to the suffering, to the enmity, the hostility that Jesus faced from those who hated him. And when he says in verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, the implication, of course, is that Jesus did. Uh, Now, there are believers who have resisted to the point of shedding blood, but by definition, uh, and he's talking about death, uh, they're not around to read this. But uh, if they're still living, they haven't shed their blood in this way, though perhaps some of them had lost some blood. Paul certainly did, perhaps through his, his beatings. Now, having said that, then in verse 5, he goes on to raise this, this question of our status as sons and what that means for us in terms of God's discipline. Because it would be very easy to think, if I'm suffering, if, if life is not going well for me, if, if life is hard, if life hurts, maybe God's displeased with me. Maybe I'm not even one of his children. Maybe God has it in for me. He's out to get me. Well, no. He points us to Jesus who suffered to a degree you and I never will, physically and in other ways. But then he uses that to to point us that just as Jesus is God's son, and I think this is the connecting thought, Jesus is the, the, the unique, the only begotten son of God, and he suffered in this way. He learned obedience through what he suffered, the scriptures tell us then we should certainly not think that we would escape discipline as well. Because the Father disciplines his children. Uh, Jesus wasn't disciplined for sin in his life, uh, but he certainly did suffer and uh, learn obedience through what he suffered. And so it's really this, this quotation from Proverbs, that uh, in verse uh, chapter 3, Proverbs 3, that gets us started, this quotation uh, in verses 5, and six that really get us underway. He says, my son, have you forgotten? He says, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Well, this may not be you know, 
a key verse in your life. Obviously, this one was important to the writer of Hebrews. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. To be a son of God, to be a child of God, is a great blessing. But sometimes it can be a painful blessing. And as he goes on in these verses that follow, he points out to us three truths about God's discipline that we need to understand, that we need to be aware of. In the first place, verses 5 through 8, God disciplines his children without exception. Notice what he goes on to say. He tells us that God disciplines his children without exception. The Lord disciplines the one he loves, chastises every son whom he receives. Now, this is an expression of love and acceptance. Notice, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. When you and I discipline our children, It is an expression of our love for them, our concern for them, our regard for them, that we love them too much to let them get their own harmful way. They may not see it from their point of view. It might be much better to forego the discipline, to go their merry way. But you and I know that that would not be good for them. So our discipline of them uh, is an expression of our regard, our concern, our care, our love for our children and our desire for them to be what is good and to go in ways that are right. And so it is with our father. He disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. So it's an expression of love and acceptance on God's part. Far from having it in for us, it's an expression of his concern for us, his care for us. It also, he goes on to say, is an indication of our adoption of our status as children of God. We see this in verses 7 and 8. He says it's for discipline that you have to endure, whether it's running the race of the Christian life, whether it's suffering hostility from unbelievers, or just suffering in difficult circumstances. It is for discipline. Uh, It is for training, uh, is the word we looked at this morning. It is to cultivate in us those things that God wants in us. So it's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. What son is there whom his father does not discipline? Now here's where he's, he's getting into this whole point that this discipline of the father is an indication of our adoption. Verse 8, if you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not Sons. So, last thing we want, actually, is to coast through life without any problems, without any concerns, without any struggles, without any difficulties at all. If we are his children, then he will discipline us, and that discipline is sometimes painful. What son is there whom his father doesn't discipline? If you're left without discipline and your illegitimate children, and not sons. Now, the flip side of that is, yes, the way of the transgressor is hard. Uh, those who are not sons of the Father, daughters of God, may suffer, and suffer terribly in this world. 
But even that can be a means that God uses to draw someone to himself. But here he's talking about those who are believers, and yet they suffer, they struggle, maybe more than unbelievers. Think of Psalm 73, where Asaph really wrestles with the fact that the righteous seem to suffer and the wicked seem to have it so good. Well, that's sort of of a piece with this. He says, if you are left without discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And so what's the upshot of this? God disciplines his children without exception. Uh, It's an expression of his love and acceptance, an indication of our adoption. So we are not to regard it lightly. Look back up at verse 5. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't look on this as, as a trivial thing or an important thing, but rather look at what God brings. Look at the suffering. Look at the difficulties as an opportunity to confess sin, certainly, to draw near to God, certainly, to uh, ask the, the Father to teach you those things that he wants you to learn. It was John Piper who wrote uh, an article one time called Don't Waste Your Cancer talking about the opportunity that that illness is. Uh, well, you can, of course, fill in the blank. doesn't have to be cancer. Don't waste this affliction. Don't fail to learn what God would have you learn. Don't fail to grow in the ways that God would have you grow in it. Don't regard it lightly, he says in verse 5, nor be weary when reproved by him. It would be easy to become discouraged. It would be easy to, uh, to, to be overburdened. And it can be hard. But we also recognize that God is at work. And so when we suffer hardship, we should look at it as God's discipline. There may or may not be specific sin involved. Maybe. It's worth asking God in prayer, saying, Father, what is there in my life that displeases you? Or you may know. But whether there is or not, we look at it as as evidence of God's love for us, his concern for our growing to maturity. In other words, he's treating us like his children, and we submit to that and rest in that. Because God disciplines his children without exception. If you experience no discipline from God, then you are an illegitimate child. You are no no son of the Father. Second place, second truth that he wants us to learn, not only does God discipline his children without exception, but also God disciplines his children with perfect wisdom. Look at verse 9. He says, besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? So he just draws a comparison with a human situation. For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. There's no expert on child-rearing like those who don't have children. You know, I I can remember, even when our children were very small, the the bewilderment. Was was that defiance or just childishness? You know, is is this... Should, what, what, how do you respond to this? Should we discipline this? Should we, be, should we, should we show justice? Should we demonstrate grace? Um, it could be bewildering. It's just, it never seems to be quite so cut and dried as you might like. And it certainly does call for, 
for great wisdom in dealing with our children. And sometimes uh, our discipline, admittedly, is, is a reaction of anger or outrage or irritation. Or maybe we know we should discipline, but we're tired, we're weary, and just don't feel up to dealing with it. Uh, it can be hard. You know, and then you get two children. Okay, which one do you believe? Two very different stories. Uh, even at our best, even at our most wise, even at our most godly, we discipline our children, but imperfectly. And about the time we start to think we've got it figured out, they're grown and gone, and they have children of their own, and then we can annoy them with all of our advice, uh, all the things we wished we had known when they were little. Well, God's discipline, on the contrary, is always perfect. God knows always exactly what we need. He always treats us with perfect wisdom. He never makes a mistake. And that's the contrast. Verse 10, our fathers, our earthly fathers, earthly mothers, discipline us for a short time. That seemed best to them. And the implication there is it's, it's not perfect, but it's, it's the best human judgment can do. But God disciplines us for our good. And we recognize that, that God's wisdom is perfect, therefore his discipline is perfect. I like the way one uh, one Bible scholar, F.F. F. Bruce, puts it. He says, our earthly fathers may sometimes have been mistaken in their estimate of the discipline we needed. Our heavenly father, in the perfection of his wisdom and love, can be relied upon never to impose any discipline on us, which is not for our good. That brings us then to the third point, which is precisely that. Uh, God disciplines us without exception. He disciplines his children with perfect wisdom, as only God could. And flowing out of that, he always, as Bruce says, disciplines us for our good, for our well-being. What is that good? Well, the, the passage addresses two benefits that come from God's discipline. One has to do with our sharing in his holiness. Look at verse 10. He disciplines us for our good. What What is that good? That we may share in his holiness. Now, certainly in our justification, when we believe in Christ, we are righteous in Christ. We stand before God fully accepted because Jesus' blood, his death, atoned for our sins, because his righteousness is now the record on which we stand before God, and it's perfect. So our standing with God is is beyond question. But then our sanctification, God actually at work to make us in life what we are in standing before God uh, is that work of, of cultivating and producing holiness in us. And his discipline is one means by which he does that. In the crucible of suffering, tribulation, Chastening, God burns away the, the dross in our lives. Uh, trials are the God's way of winning, winnowing out the, uh, the chaff, and leaving the wheat in our hearts. A uh, couple of passages along those lines. We think about uh, Romans 8.28. We know that God works all things together uh, for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his Purpose in verse 29 goes on to explain what that purpose is. For those those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. 
The good that God causes all things to work out for is Christ-likeness. What greater good can there be than to be like Christ? Well, we could think of all kinds of things. You know, we might hope that good would be in this world, temporal things, but God's good for us is to be like Jesus in the way that we live. And then same statement, Leviticus 11.44. Peter quotes it in 1 Peter chapter 1. You shall be holy, for I am holy. It's almost a purpose statement for the Bible. Purpose statement for God's work of redemption. You shall be holy, for I am holy. And we are holy in Christ. And our salvation rests on that. But God doesn't stop there. His purpose is to make us holy, and he's doing that. That will be complete when we're glorified, uh, when we are with him. But in the meantime, God is at work. He's chipping away the the rough edges of sin, producing Christ-likeness in us. So that's one good that God disciplines us for, that we may share in his holiness. All of that entails. But there's another good that he mentions here in verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. He acknowledges that's true. That's no fun. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see, when we experience God's discipline, he's producing this fruit of righteousness in us, it's similar to holiness, to be sure, uh, but slightly different emphasis, having more to do with with ethical behavior. Which notice he says is is peaceful. Old translation refers to peaceable. Uh, creates peace. People who who deal justly with others, who deal rightly and in righteousness with others, experience this kind of peace. Now again, he acknowledges painful rather than pleasant. And the temptation is to grumble. It's to complain. Does God care? Does God even know? Why is God doing this to me? That's the wrong response. And God can certainly teach you uh, despite your grumbling. But the right response is to say, yes, Lord, this is hard. But I pray that you will show me what you want me to know. Don't let this be wasted. Let me learn. Let me grow. Humble me. Form Christ in me, his holiness and righteousness. We may not see God's reasons for what we go through in this life. We may. We may live long enough to see, well, it looks like that's what God was doing. See how it works out. We may not. But either way, we need to recognize God is preparing us to be with him, to be his people. I love how the uh, writer of Psalm 119 in verse 71 says, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. See, there are ways that we can uh, learn about God, about following Christ, that we learn only through the discipline, only through the hard things, only through those things that are painful at the time, not pleasant, but later yield fruit. Anytime I think about this, I can't help but think of uh, Sarah Edwards' letter to one of her children upon the death of her husband, Jonathan Edwards, from a smallpox inoculation gone bad. 
Uh, he was um, 55 at the time, and uh, actually 54, and uh, died. And she wrote in response uh, to that to one of her children, What shall I say? A holy and good God has covered us with a dark cloud. Oh, that we may kiss the rod as the rod of discipline. Oh, that we may kiss the rod and lay our hands upon our mouths and not grumble, not complain is what she's saying. Oh, that we may kiss the rod and lay our hands upon our mouths. The Lord has done it. He has made me adore his goodness that we had him so long. But my God lives and he has my heart. Oh, what a legacy my husband and your father has left us. We're all given to God, and there I am and love to be. That we may kiss the rod, accepting God's chastening, and lay our hands over our mouths so that we don't grumble and complain and resist what God is doing. Some of you are going through some difficult times. Some of you, if you're not now, you will be, certainly have in the past. How do you handle it? Well, it helps to ask the question, Lord, what are you doing? How are you at work to cultivate holiness in my life? How are you at work to cultivate righteousness, the peaceful fruit of righteousness in my life? Look at it as God's discipline from your heavenly Father as proof of your adoption, as proof of your belonging to him. Submit to it with humility by God's grace as he is making you into a mature man or woman of God. At any rate, be assured of this. He's not trying to bust you in half. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage. Father, these are far easier to talk about than they are to live through. The reality, Father, is hard and at times can be excruciating. But Lord, we pray that you would use those times to winnow away the chaff, uh, to leave the wheat, to purify the gold, removing the dross, to make us your people. Lord, we look in the scriptures and we can see example after example of how you used suffering, how you chastened your people and disciplined them. And Father, we see how you were at work there. Lord, we don't see the end result in our own lives. We pray, Father, for that same humility that Sarah Edwards demonstrates, that we would indeed kiss the rod of your discipline, submitting to it, and learn those things and grow in those ways that you have for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.